Open in your Bibles. We're going to be over in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Get out of John for just a little bit. We're going to be back over in John. There's just so many places we find questions in the Word of God. Last week we were looking at the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so Jesus was, was dealing with that, but we had some assumed truths there. First off, that's, that the bad thing that happened in his life was a result of something bad, either by his parents or himself. They really couldn't think of anyone else to put in that list, so they, they had it there. And so Jesus was dealing with that. But if you have the wrong assumptions in a question as you're pondering for understanding, if you have the wrong assumptions, if you've assumed some things to be true that are not actually true, you won't be in the right ballpark to get the right answer. And the questions that you do get answers for, more than likely that's going to be a false answer. So false assumptions, we saw they make answering correctly impossible, are often guarded as sacred truth, and keep us blind and deaf to real answers. We looked at um, assumptions, aid in getting to an answer, but not the truth. There's a lot of people who just want an answer. I don't care if the answer is right or wrong, I just want an answer because they get some comfort out of, out of that answer. Why did this person die? They get an answer, it's not necessarily the correct one, but it gives them some comfort. But it's the truth that's going to set you free, so we've got to press in and find out what the truth is on things. That's what's going to help us out. You get into things that are false, that's going to hold you back. And we're going to see some of that here in Luke chapter 13. It reads this way, There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So they had a discussion. How many times have you sat around in a group and just had a discussion about things that had gone on? Events, disasters, uh, you know, where the hurricane went through, Florida, people enjoyed discussing what had, had gone on. Maybe you, you knew some people. Uh, if you were in touch with the Jacobs, they had some stories themselves. And there, of course, their house was pretty much untouched, even though it only went a little bit south of them. So that was, a, that was good. But they had some, some fun parts of the stories. And we, we get into, into what's going on in the, in the country, what's going on around our world, when disaster happens, when bad things go on especially, but even sometimes when good things go on, it spurs discussion. And so they spur this discussion with Jesus in the hopes that maybe he'd have an answer. Why did this happen? Why did this go that way? Why were these people who were in service to God allowed to be killed? They, they couldn't understand that. They're doing something good. They were killed by someone that we saw as evil. So why did this happen? So Jesus answered them this way. Do you suppose that these Galileans were, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Now when he says, do you suppose, what's he identifying? 
an assumption. They've made the assumption that these people are worse sinners than others. Now, we sometimes do that too, and it sneaks up on you. When you hear about a bad thing that happened, we think, what did they do to bring that on? Why did that happen to them? And then we begin to look at other people. Well, how come that bad thing didn't happen to this person? They were worse. They were worse sinners because we were always looking at things in, in a grading system. Well, this person is not so evil. This person is real evil. If bad things are going to happen, it ought to happen to this person that's real evil, not the one that's not so evil. And we begin to look at these things and judge these things. So he identifies this. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? If you have some friends and some bad things happen to them, maybe some of them uh, passed away, they were too young to pass away, sometimes we begin to think, well, did something Did they do something bad? Was there something evil in their life? Surely God would not have brought this on if they were good, if they were in right standing. How did this bad thing happen? And so Jesus decides to up the ante. Verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wait a minute. (laughs) We're going to die too? What's he bringing the issue back to? repentance. Unless you all repent, you're going to likewise perish. Now that just kind of muddies the water for us a little bit here. Let's keep on going though. So he decides to bring in another story they apparently hadn't brought up yet. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Now I don't know how tall the tower of Siloam was. I don't see that it was, it's nothing compared to our towers. But when we had the, the twin towers fall, and a lot of people died in those, in those things. And then we heard stories of different ones who were spared, didn't go into work. Spirit of God came up on the inside of them and warned them about going. Or their alarm didn't go off. How many heard these stories? Things had, had gone on, prevented them from getting in. All right, well, obviously God was working on their side. So the people that were in the tower, they must have been sinners. Right? And God didn't warn them. They just went in the tower and not all of them made it out. So I did want to bring it into you know, some more modern day things. That's how we can look at it there. Do you think that the people who died in the tower were more, uh, more of a sinner? More unrighteous? Well, what about the people who died... In the Twin Tower incident, they were going in to help other people who were risking their lives. Are they evil? No. So you see, we have these questions that come up, and when we don't get answers, we don't get the truth on the matter, then we just begin to assume and surmise, and we go down in a direction that won't help us. And we come to a conclusion, well, the people who had these things happen did so because... There was sin in their life because they didn't listen to God, because they weren't yielded, because they weren't spirit-filled, because they weren't whatever it might be. We come up with different reasons. And then we justify, well, that didn't happen to me because obviously I'm in good standing. And God likes me. So that's I'm the favorite. There you go. <laughs> that's that's uh, Jerry's line. Jerry believes he's the favorite of, of God anyway. He believes uh, I'm the, he's the favorite. 
You ever heard of his, his stories? But he says right here, I tell you, no. There's your answer. All right, that's the answer for this. That is not the reason. If you came to the conclusion that people who died in tragedy are just not as righteous as you, that they are sinners, that something is wrong in their life, if you came to that conclusion, Jesus is telling you right here, no. No, that is not the answer. Now, how many believe that Jesus is going to answer this question for us? Now, there's four assumptions here that Jesus dispels. You don't have to write these down if you don't want to. But you can. they got a little bit of room there. There's four assumptions here that Jesus dispels in this passage. Not in this, these verses that we looked at so far, but in this passage. The first assumption is that bad things happen to bad people. No one here, I'm sure, has that assumption. Bad things happen to bad people. The second assumption is bad things haven't happened to me, so I'm good. The third assumption is because God is righteous, He always judges sin immediately. How many have ever thought that? Come on, how many people out there and you think, why hasn't God judged that person? Look at the sin, look at the harm that they do to other people. Why doesn't God step in and judge that person? Anybody ever asked that question? Anybody ever wondered, why is this sinner allowed to go around and do these things to people, hurt people in this way, why is that allowed? Why doesn't God just step in and do it? Surely God should step in and do this. And if we have come under the assumption that the bad things that have happened have come because God has passed judgment and therefore the bad stuff has happened to the bad people, then we look at the bad people that are still around, why hasn't God done anything yet? That's the third assumption. The fourth assumption is Jerusalem as a nation is fruitful, though it may have some bad apples in it. There's four assumptions that Jesus is going to deal with here in this passage. This keeps moving around on me. I'm going to take it off for just a second and try and tighten it up a little. See if I get it to hold up some. So he's taken, this is not an opportunity that Jesus sought after. This is an opportunity that came and knocked on his door. This is an opportunity that came to him and said, hey, here I am. Here we go. And so Jesus took the opportunity to deal with what was going on. He didn't come into this day, as far as we can tell, with the purpose of dispelling these assumptions. But the assumptions came. And as we said, even today, people view any unusual calamity any unusual thing as an act of judgment by God. Now, you may never know the reason why bad things happen to other people. You may never know the reason. You have to, got to the, come to the realization that bad things can happen in other people's lives and you are left out of the loop. That can happen. God does not have to include you. God does not have to report to you or tell you why this bad thing happened. There could be reasons that are just none of your business. So you have to understand other things may happen to other people. Bad things may happen to other people and you may not know the reason why. What's important is that you understand what you have to do. And that's kind of what Jesus gets here here at the end. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Stop looking at other people and trying to decide were they good, were they bad, did they deserve this, did they not, and look at your own life. Am I good? Am I bad? Am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And judge yourself. 
That's what you should do. Don't be looking at other people. The devil loves to get you to go look to other people because then you can use that as an excuse, as a reason to say, you don't need to judge this sin in your life. Just keep on going. Because good things are happening, bad things are not. Now, I put these in your outline here for you just to, it's kind of on a side note, but just to make sure you, you understand this. You are responsible to deliver a message of repentance, but never for its reception. You are responsible to tell people what God tells you and to give out a message of repentance. Jonah was responsible to give the message of repentance. He was not responsible for how they answered it. I was listening to a Brother Hagen um, one this week, last week, I don't, I don't know when it was. It was sometime in there. And, and someone came up to him and said, Boy, I wouldn't want to walk in your shoes. And he said, Why not? He says, Well, you're a teacher and all that responsibility comes down on you. I didn't tell you this story, did I? Sometimes I, I hear stories and I just, I never plan what stories to tell you. I never plan any stories to tell you. I just kind of let them come up in my spirit and then I tell, tell them to you. So I don't uh, always have them planned. And uh, so if it came up, you know, two weeks ago, I may have told it to you then. <laughs> but anyway, he was, um, he was uh, conversing with them. He said, well, I want you to want to be me. All that responsibility for teaching, teaching those things. You teach something wrong, God's going to hold you accountable. Now he says, well, that's, that could be true, but God's also going to hold you accountable for the stuff I taught you. And his jaw dropped. What? Yeah, you're responsible for the things that I've taught you to do from the Word. Once I teach you to do, you're responsible. I'm not responsible to make you believe it. You're responsible to get the revelation, to get the understanding. That's your responsibility. And so they had a discussion about, about all those things. He came out of there a little bit uh, shell-shocked. But if God gives you a message to deliver to people, you deliver the message. Whether they take it or not, that's not up to you. Now, you can just deliver a message in such a way that no one's going to take it. Don't do that. Be kind. Be nice. You don't have to you know, candy coat it, but you've got to be kind. You've got to be nice. You've got to deliver it the way that God tells you, tells you to deliver it. If they listen, they listen. If they don't, they, they don't. They'd, uh, that's how it goes. Now, you are responsible to hear a message of repentance and for its reception. I'm responsible to make sure I receive. I'm not responsible to make sure that you receive. I'm responsible to make sure that I receive. So if God gives me a message, I'm responsible to make sure I receive it. That's my responsibility. Just like your responsibility is to make sure that you receive whatever message that God's given you. So Jesus is giving these folks a message here and they've got to make sure that they receive what Jesus is teaching. There's a lot of times people have taught from these things and they've come up with some weird stuff. Some weird stuff. And uh, we, we, don't want them, we don't want you coming away with that. My, we were, my wife was, he was, we were considering somebody to be bringing out uh, next year. She had brought up this particular person. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, why don't, why don't you see if you can you know, get in touch with them and find out. We, we, I know she, she had more contact with this person than I did, but uh, everything I heard, oh yeah, yeah, it's real good. And so then she went out and she listened to some stuff. She says, I'm not quite so sure about this. This person is out there declaring themselves to be a pastor, a prophet, an apostle, and a teacher. All rolled into one. I said, what? <laughs> and this is the person who came up under Brother Hagen. 
who uh, he taught us that's not possible. That's not right. And uh, I said, well, if they have been pulled off that far, we're not bringing them out here. So we keep looking for, for other things. But um, it's important that we don't get pulled off. Because you can get pulled off. You can go into some good things. And these, these are people, they were doing good things for God. They still have some good things going on. But, mm-mm. I'll just let you all know, I am totally content to be a pastor and a teacher. Totally content. Don't have to come get any other title, do any other thing. I'm fine with that. I tell God that every, every once in a while, I just tell him that. You know, God, I am thrilled doing what it is you tell me to do. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to do anything else. This is, this is great. I just so enjoy it. And I really do. I look forward to it all the time. You guys pull off of me so much. And that way I learn. You're not the only ones learning. I get to go in there and I get to study and I get to learn. I get to, oh, guess what? God told me on this one today. <laughs> he sometimes will wake me up. Oh, he did that this week. I was mulling over some stuff and something came up. You know, I was, I was mulling over some stuff. I'll t- tell you this part. It was from Genesis. I'm not telling you what it is yet. And the reason, if I ever tell you I'm not ready to teach this yet, the reason is I'm not ready to teach it, not that you're not ready to hear it. Most of the time, I'm not ready to teach it. It has nothing to do with where you are able to receive it. See, when I get that okay that says, all right, go ahead and teach it, that means I've got enough of it. Sometimes you only got a partial thing. But you think, oh, man, this is it. (laughs) And God says, don't you release that just yet. (laughs) You're still baking that one. You just hold on to that for a little bit. Okay, I'll hold on for that for a little bit. But I was meditating on some things in Genesis, and I was, I was uh, contemplating some things. So I said, you know, I was telling them during the day. I was walking the day, and I was just kind of telling us, I know this is, I, I am almost positive that this is true, but I don't know that I could prove it from the Word yet. And so I just went on with that. Later on that night, or one of the nights after, he woke me up. Did you notice that in such and such a verse, it said this? I said, I know it says that, but it didn't dawn on me before. And I got up from, from where I was. I turned my phone on. I looked up the passage. There it is. It's, it's right there. Oh, man. <laughs> That's good. So, well, we, we still we got to make sure we bake them all the way. You know, you pull, put a cake in the oven. Don't pull it out early. It won't be good. I sometimes don't talk about some of these things with people until I get it all the way baked because if I do... It doesn't come out right, and people say, no, that's not right, and then I just go away from it, and we don't want to do that. So I just kind of keep it in there until I know it's, it's all ready. But I appreciate you all for, for doing that, because you're always hungry for the Word. You're always pulling on things. Let's go on here with what he says. Because this parable, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. That seems like a perfectly logical answer to the question that they were asking, doesn't it? Well, to Jesus it did, did it? I mean, Jesus is answering their question and he's saying these things. He's expecting that they get it. 
Well, let's take a look at it. First off, there's two symbols of Israel that are used by Jesus. Two, two symbols. One is the vineyard and the other is the fig tree. The vineyard is used of Israel when they are in a spiritually productive state. The fig tree is used of Israel when they are in a non-productive state. If you ever see a, Jesus talking about Israel as the fig tree, he is talking about them looking spiritual, but not producing anything. If he's talking about the vineyard, he's talking about them producing. That's the difference with that. Now, the owner of the vineyard here, this is God the Father. The keeper of the vineyard, this is Jesus. What's the fruit of the tree? In Matthew 3, 8 through 9, it says this, Therefore, bear, this is John speaking, when he had the um, Pharisees come out to be baptized, and he's saying, you brood of vipers, who warned you? <laughs> he says this, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Who's he speaking to? Israel. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So we have the vineyard. We have this tree. He's got a vineyard. He's got this tree. He's coming up to this tree. In this, this tree, it's not producing stuff. It's not producing. I'm, I'm not seeing things off of this fig tree. Let's cut it down. Let's cut it down. Let's get rid of it. Why in the world is it using up, using up the stuff? Now look at what he says here. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Why does Jesus throw a time period in there? Three years. Cut it down. Why does he use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. How long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a half years. He interceded for them to get another year. He said, if not, cut it down. What happened? Israel was cut down. Rome came in and destroyed them. So there's the... There's what we learned. First off, we, put, we learned from this. Fruitless trees are cut down. Fruitless trees are cut down. If you don't produce fruit, get you out. Get a tree in here and it does produce fruit. Now, other people's fruitlessness. When I see other people that are being fruitless, I can influence that. That's the best you can do. You can influence other people. Can't make them become fruitful. You can influence them. My fruitfulness, though, or my fruitlessness, I can change. I can make myself to become fruit-bearing if I have been fruitless. I can't make someone else do it, but I can make myself. I can bring myself to do it. I can bring that change. I can influence other people. But true repentance bears fruit that God can see. True repentance bears fruit that God can see. God, God's not looking for remorse. He wants repentance. He wants people that will repent. And He's looking for people that will repent and have the fruit of it. You can say, Oh God, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I know I shouldn't do this. Oh, this is terrible. I shouldn't have done this. And then go out and do it again. And keep doing it. And I'm, I'm not changing it. I'm just sorry that I'm doing it. 
But I have to. I have to live like this. I have to be like this. I'm sorry that I'm not measuring up to your word, but I'm not changing it. Well, that's not bearing fruit of repentance. Has the appearance of fruit. Looks like fruit. But when you get up there and examine it closely, guess what? There's no fruit. No fruit on that. Remember when Jesus came up to the fig tree? You remember when he did that? In the final year of his ministry, right around the end of the three and a half years, he's into the fourth year, and he came up to the fig tree, and he saw it having leaves like it had fruit. When he came up to it, there was no fruit. He said, may no one eat fruit from you again, and it was dead the next day. Can you see the correlation between these two stories? That was right there at the end, before he was taken to the cross. So he's already made the determination at that end. They're not bearing fruit. All right, where we leave off? Verse. We read verse 9, right? Yep, let's go on to verse 10. Now, this seems like it might not be related. But apparently it was to Luke. Because Luke put this story in right after this one, without any kind of a time frame. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. She had a spirit of infirmity. Not all infirmity is caused by a spirit. Don't go out there and try and cast demons out of people just before you know, they have a cold. In the name of Jesus, I cast you. <laughs> Not all sickness and disease is caused by a spirit of infirmity. This one is identified as being such. So we're dealing with it in that way. So she had this spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over. Could in no way raise herself up. This is the Sabbath. She's in the synagogue. This is probably something that she does on a regular basis. Now, if you are bent over, how easy is it for you to get her out? But it seems like every Sunday, or every Saturday, <laughs> she'd get herself on over there and she'd sit herself on down in the synagogue. She'd get up in the morning. Oh, why do you want to put yourself through this today? No, I'm going. For 18 years, she's had this infirmity, making it really tough for her to get around. 18 years, she's still showing up at the synagogue. Nothing's happening at the synagogue than to benefit her, but she's still showing up at the synagogue. She doesn't have any special inclination. Anything's going on today, but she shows up today. And Jesus is there. Now, look at verse 12, and I want you to read this carefully. But when Jesus saw her, it doesn't say that she saw him. It's not like the woman with the issue of blood, when she's looking for him, when she found him, she reached out and touched his clothes. That's not it. When Jesus saw her, So Jesus is looking around. He sees. He may be looking for her in particular. Maybe something came up in his prayer time in the morning and God said, I want you to, to take care of this. 
or he's just looking around and he sees this poor woman hunched over, walking around like this, and he sees her and he says, hmm, something wrong there. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, he likes that term, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, there had to be some effort on her part too because I never heard of a time when the Spirit of God came down upon somebody and forcibly straightened them up. So she has to hear that and work to, to straighten up. But the power of God came upon her she was made straight so that she could straighten up. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue rejoiced with the good thing that had gone on. Now you would think if you're the ruler of the synagogue and this woman has been coming out for 18 years, hunched over and in no way been made better, and you probably had some conversations with her, Probably even, oh, so, so sorry that this is going on with you. Um, maybe they've tried to work on some things. You know, we're going to pray about this and see what we need to do. I don't know what kind of things. I imagine some kind of stuff went on. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Now, can you imagine a scenario in which the ruler of the synagogue has said on multiple occasions over the 18 years, if there was anything I could do to help you, I would. Could you see that scenario? I feel so bad watching you hunched over like that. Yet every Sabbath you come out here and you're here at service. Probably even comes in sometime during the week. She just keeps on coming on out. He probably gets on over there, has looked at her and said, hmm. I wish other people were as dedicated as you to come out every single Sabbath. No matter how hunched over you've been, no matter how painful it was, here you are. Wow. And can you imagine hearing those things, whatever this man has maybe passed on to this woman over the 18 years. And then when she finally gets healed, the first words out of his mouth are, don't come on the Sabbath to get healed. There's six days. Come on those days. He's not rejoicing that she is now made well. Would you not be a little bit shocked if you were the woman and here's somebody who may have said, if there's anything I could do to help you out, I would. He's upset because she got help on the Sabbath. Oh, no. He answered with indignation. There's an attitude in his voice. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, he said to all of them, he didn't want to just speak to this one woman, he wanted to, <clears throat> he has her in mind, <laughs> but he's going to talk to everybody. There are six days in which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> you might be thinking, We've come out here a whole lot. We haven't been getting any healing going on. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. 
That's always fun to do in church. On the Sabbath. <laughs> Hypocrite. Ever wanted to say that to somebody? Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? Now we'll pick that up here in just a minute, but I want you to see this. This Jesus says that this woman was in bondage, was in Satan's bondage. That's what he says. He identifies her as being under Satan's bondage for all this time. Now, did the woman want this? Who would? Who would want that? Who would want to be hunched over? Couldn't straighten yourself up all those years. Nobody would want that. So she didn't want it. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus heals her. So we have to conclude from that that God didn't want it. So she didn't want it. God didn't want it. But there was no change until someone acted against it. There was no change in this woman's condition until someone acted against it. She didn't want it. God didn't want it. But she still had it. So who sinned? This woman or her family that she's been over? So he goes on, verse 16. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from his bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversities were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. If you can get them ready, I may go into 18, 19, and uh, 20, at least 18 anyway. And when he said these things, all his adversities, that's all of them, all his adversities, adversaries were put to shame. But he says, shouldn't this woman, being a daughter, some translations read seed of Abraham, being a daughter or a seed of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. Think of it for 18 years. Now, look at this. She's been bound for 18 years. She goes into this, to the synagogue. Probably goes to Bible study. Maybe some of the lady prayer groups that are going on there. Bound by Satan. If she's showing up here on the, on the Sabbath going through all that, she's probably serving God throughout the week. May even brought her ties. Put that back in the in the box in the back. Now in Luke chapter 4, we find out why Jesus became a man. Why did Jesus, the Son of God, become the Son of Man? In verse 16, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now look at what he says. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are 
oppressed. This is in Luke chapter 4. We're reading from Luke chapter 13. I believe chapter 13 comes after chapter 4. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now we've covered this before in more detail. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail here, but the reason all eyes were fixed on him is first off, he stopped halfway through. They loved this, this prophecy. Loved this prophecy. And they wanted him to keep on going because this first part of this prophecy talks about Jesus the Messiah. The second part talks about Jesus the King. And so they've had times they read this. This is one of their favorite things. Here comes the king. But they read it all as one prophecy because it was one prophecy. They didn't know there was a break in there. Jesus put the break in and stopped reading. Now, you did notice in your Bible that it said that Jesus found the place. You know why that's in there? Because this is how the synagogue would go. In the synagogue, they, they had the scrolls. They didn't have Bibles like you have. They had scrolls. And you didn't, they were expensive. They cost a lot of money. And so they had one, the, 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 not one scroll, but they had one set of all the scrolls to cover all the books in the synagogue. And so you would come on down to the synagogue. It was a daily thing, but on the Sabbath they would uh, have uh, other kind of services too. But you could come on down to the synagogue and there would be a reading of the scrolls. And so they would pull the scrolls out, take very good care of them. They'd roll the thing open, and they would read from where they left off in the last, last time they were together so that you could, you could hear the whole entire Bible. If you came out the synagogue, you would, it would be reading it for you. So the scribe or the Pharisee, whoever it is, they'd get up there and they would read. They would be their, their time for the day. They would read. They'd put their little mark or do whatever they do, and then they, uh, they hand it back, and it's, it's left at the place. You know, it's a scroll. So you unroll this, unroll roll this. You just keep on moving. Of course, they, they read backwards from us. So they're going to go from the right to the left. So they're reading on through here. But did you notice that it said, and Jesus found the place? Which means he was given the scroll. I don't want to read here. I'm going to read here. And he changed the place where they were reading. He found the place. You're not usually having to find a place. You get the scroll. You read. You go a little bit further. That's how they did it, because not everybody had a Bible. This is how you were able to read, to hear the Bible, what was, what was said. So he found the place, and he read this. As he opened, it says book there, but it's actually a scroll. But it was his custom. He would go into the Sabbath. He would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. But here he read this scripture. He changed the wording around a little bit too, which also kind of surprised them. And he made it very much individualized to him. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. Well, no one ever said that when they read this passage before. What do you mean this scripture is fulfilled? You mean you're fulfilling it? But he stopped right at the part where the prophecy of the Messiah stopped. That's the part of the Messiah Lamb. He didn't pick up Messiah King. He left that part off. So they're all wondering, what is, this is different. This, we haven't had synagogue like this before. Uh-uh. Well, he found the place. 
He read these things, but he said to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So part of the calling of the Messiah is to take people that are under such bondage and free them. And so he saw someone who was under such bondage. So what's, the, what's he supposed to do as the Son of God, as the Messiah? Set them free. Doesn't say anything in there about not being on the Sabbath. Now in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come to, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's why he's come. Now when you look at the rule of the synagogue, what side do you think he's on? Doesn't seem to be on the side that Jesus is to bring life that they may have it more abundantly. Now, I, I don't know where I got this from. I'm sort of suspicious that I got this from the Rick Renner translation. But it translates it this way. The thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished stealing all your goods and possessions, he'll take his, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to solve the problem except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life. If nothing stops him, he'll leave you insolvent, flat broke, and cleaned out in every area of your life. You end up feeling as if you are finished and out of business. Make no mistake, the enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you. Let's go back to our woman here. She was in the house of God, right? So location didn't change anything. She had a need, didn't she? she had, didn't she have a need for 18 years? Need did not change anything. Was she good? We have no idea. Because Jesus doesn't address it. So apparently it's not an issue. Goodness or lack of it didn't change anything. Faith changes anything. Faith changes anything. And Jesus came in. And he changes. He acted against what was acting against her. Now, how many people does Jesus call Abraham's seed? How many people does he say are son and daughters of Abraham? Remember, the promise to Abraham is not that his descendants, the promise is not to his descendants, the promise is to his seed. In John 8, 37, I gave you the whole passage here, I'm just going to read verse, the first verse. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He doesn't use the word seed. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And he's speaking to these evil rulers. You are Abraham's descendants. There's a difference between being a descendant and being a son and daughter of Abraham or being of the seed of Abraham. God was going to bless the world, the nations, through the seed of Abraham, not the descendants of Abraham. How do you become the seed of Abraham? Through faith. Jesus taught on that as well. It's through faith that we become seed. 
Paul also taught about it in the epistles. So when Jesus says here, you have been loosed, he uses the Greek word luo. Fun little word here. It means to loosen, break up, destroy, dissolve, loose, melt, or put off. It refers to the act of untying or unloosening something. Untying or loosening something. It was used in classical Greek literature to refer to people being delivered, released, or freed from difficulties, burdens, or needs. This word was used in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, when it talks about untying the thongs of a shoe or a sandal. In Matthew 21, 12, I'm sorry, 21, 2, the unfastening of a donkey's colt. The loosening or unraveling of uh, the removal of Lazarus' clothes, his grave clothes, was in John chapter 11, verse 44. The taking away of Paul's chains was in Acts 22 and verse 30. But the Greek word luo also means to break or to destroy, as in Revelations 5 and verse 2, where the Bible reads that Jesus is worthy to loose luo or break the seals. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was worthy to loose or to break the seals. Remember the, the time in heaven? And John is saying, who can break the seals? That is the word luo. This word is a fun word. So she is bound by Satan and she is loosed by Jesus. In 1 John 3 and verse 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, and he might destroy, luo, the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy, luo, the works of the devil. You could render it this way. This is one of those elongated translations. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might untie people from all the works of the devil, unraveling Satan's hold on them until the devil's works in people's lives are utterly destroyed and his hostages are set free. That is what he's talking about here. So what he is saying in this passage is, you think... That when bad things happen to people is because there was something bad in their life. They did some kind of sin. Something happened. And he says, but I'm going to tell you, no, that's not the case. But you need to repent. You need to repent. And then he begins to talk about that parable, about the tree. If you were ever wondering the question, why are evil people in this world? Why is it that these evil people that are causing such great harm in people's lives, whether they be criminals, politicians, even religious people. There's people out there that cause great harm in people's lives. Why are they allowed to continue? Why is that going on? And so what Jesus is teaching you here is this. If there is an intercessor in the path of the fig tree that is not producing, then that fig tree can be spared. 
But if there is no intercessor, if there is no one to act against the forces that are coming, then it won't be. We need to be more on the side of the forces that are coming against and stopping things and hindering things from going on. We need to see ourselves as a force to be reckoned with instead of just a victim of circumstances. Instead of just a victim of whatever next, the next bad thing is that wants to happen. Stop looking at yourself as victims. No, let's act against this thing. Let's come against it. We need to actively come against it. I know I put a, a, a Brother Hagen teaching up before. I got another one in the queue coming up for you uh, down the road. Not sure when. I, I'd do it tomorrow. I, I, my wife and I were listening. I listened to it before. We were listening to it again yesterday. We're going. It's so important that you understand the best way to get healed is for you to act against it. That is the best way to get healed. There is no better way for you to walk in health and healing than for you to act against it. If I, as your pastor, get you to be dependent on calling me up and praying over the phone to you, coming over to your house and laying hands, if I get you to be dependent, not saying that I won't do that, I'm saying if I get you to be dependent, I have failed as your pastor. I don't know when I learned this truth, but I know that I was watching a movie many, many years ago. I've, I've known this for a while. But I saw this in a couple of movies. You can pick just about any movie. How many remember a movie where a bully is in the, in the movie? About half the movies have bullies in them, right? And they're always picking on the real nice person, nice guy, nice gal, always picking on. And you just get so mad because they're picking on this person that you just want to show up there and show that bully a thing or two, don't you? Or we like the scenes where the tough guy comes out, you know, he's got all the moves, and he takes on a crowd of four or five bullies and beats them all up and spares the person who was being bullied. And we get all glad about that. But you know what? As soon as the hero is out of the picture, what happens? The bullies come back. See, the best thing to do is to teach them how to defend yourself, how to get rid of the bully. They'd be like um, Mr. What's his name? Mr. Mr. Miyagi. Like Mr. Miyagi. That's it. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> if, you can, if you can teach them to be able to do that. You see, the, the role that I have played all these years that we've been here is to teach you how to bully the bully. If I don't teach you how to bully the bully, then you could come in here in church and we could have hands laid on you and you get healed and you can go home and pick it up again. There was a, a story Brother Hagin was relating uh, we were listening to him yesterday. But you all know the scripture when Jesus says when you uh, come to a place and you cast out the, the spirit and that spirit leaves and goes find unrest and says, I'll go back to where I was and he comes back and finds it all neat and clean but empty. And he says, I'll go find seven other spirits worse than himself. And, the, and Jesus says, the latter state of that man is worse than the former. Well, he, was, he takes this, and I've heard him do it in other places. He did it on this one too. He, he uh, will teach you that healing can be the same way. That people sometimes, they get lay, had hands laid on them, got healed, but didn't know how to maintain it 
didn't know how to bully the bully when he came back in. And it came back on him. And he was, in this particular instance, he was writing this story about this person that was deaf. And he laid hands on him. And he was healed. And he could heal here. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because when you hear it, you'll, you'll hear him tell it. And it's a wonderful story. But after a few years, he couldn't hear anymore. And his state now was worse than it was before. Now the hearing aids don't even help him. And Brother Hagin said he stood there for 45 minutes to get one ear open. He said it wasn't that hard before. 45 minutes to get one ear open. Another 45 minutes to get the other ear open. And he told him how it happened. Because he said, I knew it in the spirit. And he told him. And I said, no, you don't let this happen again. So we'll get that teaching up there to you, to you eventually. We got some other ones in there too. But, um, uh, but it's good. You've you got to learn how to do this. You see, if, if you depended on me to be the one to lay hands and be the one to pray over all the situations that are in your life, then you never learn to bully the bully. And the bully just says, well, as soon as so-and-so gets out of their life, we'll be good. We'll come back on in there, and, we'll, and the, the, the latter state is worse than it was before. I don't want you to have that. Now, there's, still, there's a place for laying on the hands and having all that, uh, go with the gifts of the Spirit in operation, because sometimes we're hit a block and we can't get past it. But just because you got past it don't mean it's over. It means you've got to get yourself built up. How do, you, how do you get yourself built up? How do you keep yourself from these things happening? Now, we've taught on some of those things before. We'll be teaching them more of them again because it's important that you know how to maintain it. Let's finish this one here up. In order for us to be loosed from what we are bound to, someone or something must come against it. If you are in bondage to something, then there needs to be a force that comes against it to make that thing come off. That's what Jesus did. 18 years she's bound. 18 years she's bound. Because no one came against it. We've got to think about what is to be gained instead of what is lost. When you come against something, don't be thinking about all the things that might be lost because you come against it. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if this doesn't happen? Look at what there is to gain. Don't look at what there is to be lost. The enemy doesn't want you to win, to, to gain anything. When God comes out and he gives a warning, when God comes out and he gives a warning to the fig tree, hey, you're not producing. When he gives the warning, yo, there's no fruits of repentance. When he gives the warning, when God gives a warning, if there's a, going to be a situation in your life that is going to bring about one of these conditions that they assume is because somebody did something bad. Born blind. When, um, uh, or this particular lady bent over for 18 years. They're going to assume that something was done by somebody. But when God gives a warning, there is time to change. God never gives a warning and there's not time to change. If God gives you a warning and says, judge yourself on this, there is time to change. And avoid the outcome. That's how God does it. I'm going to give you this. This is just one thing in a, in a bunch of them. But I'll give you this one thing. This will help you to know. Is that warning, is this thing coming up in on the inside of me, of God or of the devil? Here's, if it's of God and he's giving you a warning. He's giving you the warning. There's time to change and avoid the outcome. And if you go back in the Old Testament, you look at the prophets, you look at the things they said, you go in the New Testament, you look at the prophets, you look at the things they said. If you will repent, 
there's always an out. There's always, this can be avoided. Even when Israel got so far in, the prophet still came out and said, your life can still be spared. The city's going to fall. But your life can still be spared. Just surrender. And they didn't want to do that. We looked at that not too, not too long ago. But when God gives a warning, there's time to change and avoid the outcome. When darkness, when Satan, when his kingdom speaks a lie, some parts may be true, but it comes with no hope and the predictive results are always a lie. So if the enemy comes to you and says, because you did thus, you are going to die. That's not God. That's not God. It can't be God because God's pattern is you're on the wrong path. Change it. If you don't change it, this will be the result. If you do change it, this will be the result. That's God's way. He tells you, hey, you're hitting a, a crossroad. You can go this way. You can go. It's your choice. It's your choice. It's not just coming upon you. It is your choice. You can either obey me and do this or not. Here you go. The devil, when that voice comes up in the inside of you, you feel something in your body. You feel a twinge, a pain, something. He comes up and says, well, that's it. You got cancer. You got a heart condition. You're going to die. That's not God. That's never God. That's not his pattern. See, the devil gives himself away. If you're getting a message on the inside and all it is is doom and gloom, you're going to die. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose this. If that's all that it is, it's of the devil. It's so easy to see. Wait a minute. There's no message of hope here. <laughs> that's not God. And if it's not God, then it's a lie. And that means that what you're saying is going to happen is a lie. So that means it's not going to happen. Oh, glory to God. I'm not dying. I don't have this. This isn't going on. Just get excited. Because the devil's a liar. He's trying to pass off a lie to you. Don't listen to him. That's what he likes to do. He likes to speak these things. Don't listen to his lies. Spot them. Just start laughing. <laughs> Devil, you are such a liar. He just gave himself away. Just gave himself away. All these years, all these years I've been here teaching y'all. Some of you just a couple years, some of you a couple months, some of you decades. But you'll know that all this time, I constantly show you patterns. Always show you patterns. This is the pattern of darkness. This is the pattern of light. I'll show it to you in the Old Testament, show it to you in the New Testament. Show you where it's taught. Because if you understand the patterns, if you understand the patterns, you can always tell when the hand of the devil is behind someone. Always tell. You can always tell when the hand of God is on someone. But you see, we look for the hand of God by the good that I can see and the hand of the devil by the bad I can see. What Jesus is telling you here in this passage is you cannot tell from good and bad that you can see whether there's a cause or whether there's not. Whether God's behind it or whether God is not. You cannot tell from that. 
because you do not know what intercessor is in the way. You do not know what kind of repentance they have done. You do not know the fruits of their repentance. You may look at the evil, but they, I see the fruit of the repentance, and I'm looking at it differently than you are. You may see the good, and I see that they're lacking the fruits of repentance, and I don't see the same good that you do. So God's perspective is going to be different. Your assumption is just going to get you into trouble. Don't mess with it. But you can see the pattern. Because the pattern of light is always the same. And darkness tries to mimic it, but it can't. The patterns of darkness are always the same. They're always the same. If you can follow it, if you can learn it, you don't need to vote for a political person based on party. Look for the hand of God. That's all. Just look for the hand of God. Look for the patterns. Well, God, I don't like this one a whole lot, but uh, I see your pattern in there a whole lot more than I see. I see the pattern of evil in that. Weird. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I was down to a Memorial Day celebration. And um, they had me come in to, to do part of it for this thing. And there was, there was a lot of people at this year's Memorial Day uh, celebration that they had down there in Warren. There was a lot of people out there. And they had a lot of dignitaries out there, too. I got to sit next to one. And the man, when I sat next to him, I didn't know who he was. I'd never, never seen his face before. Uh, I've known the... Uh, learned that the name, I, oh, I, know, I know the name, I just didn't know the face. Just felt such a camaraderie, such a, a goodness in there. Uh, I sat next to him for the whole thing. And then there was another person, I knew them, and I got 10 feet from them, and in my spirit, but they're both in the same party, in my spirit, Evil. I didn't, I didn't even go up and say hi. No, no, not getting near that one. Mm-mm. And the person that had invited me in, they came over and they were talking to me about this particular political person. And they said, oh, such a genuine person. Whether our cameras are there or not, doesn't matter. He's there and he's uh, doing things and he's helping people. I don't, I don't care. In my spirit, there's something off right there with that one. There's something off. See, that's how you tell. Look for the pattern. You look for the, now. I've I've seen other things. Once I had that identified, I know I've looked at. Other, oh yeah, look at the. I see the pattern. I see when the hand of darkness is on somebody, they move in certain directions. They do certain things. If you know the pattern, you can spot it. It's so important that we as Christians learn the patterns. Because too many times in the Old Testament, too many times in the New Testament, and even too many times now, Christians are siding with the wrong people. And the hand of darkness is on the very ones that they're siding with. They could be religious leaders. They could be political leaders. They could be community leaders. It doesn't matter what the position is. They're all over. There's good and there's bad. But when you see bad happen to a person, do not assume it's because of bad in their life. And when you see good happen, I can throw this name out to you because I've already talked to her a number of times. When Nancy Pelosi gets so prosperous that she has two refrigerators in her basement for all her ice cream, 
That's not my accusation. That's her, her testimony of herself on, on that. that uh, and, and other things that are going on. When uh, her husband makes trades based on things that have happened, insider trading is so much involved in it. And you look at that. I look at that. I see they are becoming prosperous, ridiculously prosperous, and there's nothing but evil on that family. I don't care what party they're in. There's evil on that party, on that, on that family. Such, I, can, I can't even stand watching. She comes on, on something, you know, you're flipping around something, she comes on. I don't even care if somebody's saying, look what she said, it's not good. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear that kind of evil. That is, that is a level of evil I won't tolerate. I won't listen to. No, they're just going to lie anyway. But see, there's, there's prosperity coming. They're making money. But look at this. That's all they've got. That's all they got. When they leave this life, it's gone. It's gone. Don't look at the good in people's lives and decide, well, they must be okay. God is blessing them. Don't even if they tell you that God is blessing them, that's how they got it. You can know the patterns, and the pattern of light is always the same. The pattern of darkness is always the same. And darkness cannot, cannot dispel light. There is no darkness anywhere in the universe that is powerful enough to stop light. Well, what about a black hole? Black hole doesn't stop the light. Black hole is just such a strong gravitational pull that it pulls the light in because you may not, I don't know if you, anybody ever studied light? Well, just one? I studied light because I got into the sciences, you know, I've, Light has a mass. It has particles. Those particles react to gravity. In fact, they use it in, in uh, uh, studying space because they know that a light coming from a star, if it goes too close to, a, to a something with strong gravitational pull, it will bend it. And so you may be seeing the light here like it came from there, but it didn't. It bent and it came from here. Because that's what light will do. It's fascinating the way God made, made light. But if you understand the principles, then you can understand how it behaves. If you understand the light of the gospel, if you understand the light of God, you understand how it behaves. And you understand that God's light can come upon someone like David who is imperfect and work with him. And you understand, oh, that's not a problem for me anymore. I understand that light can come on him and work with him. Ah, yeah. Light can come on Peter, though he was imperfect, and work with him. It's not so, it's not so hard to see. But understand the principles. Now, we had a, on Wednesday, we had a great question that was asked there at the, the end. Miss Ethel asked a, a question, and we're going to dive into it, but it, it relates into here. She threw out the question, as we were looking at uh, 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 some of the things on the spiritual armor and the spiritual battles, what is the difference between a spiritual battle and a difficult time? Anybody hear that question from the Wednesday night? Besides those, what's the difference between a spiritual battle and a difficult time? It was a great question. I probably wouldn't have gotten into it <laughs> if she hadn't asked it. But I think of it all the time because I hear people say, I'm just going through a spiritual battle. And inside, I know, no, you're not. You're going through a difficult time. I've said it to myself. No, you're not. You're going through a difficult time. That's not a spiritual battle. Not everybody's always ready to hear it. 
but we're going to get into that on, on Sunday. We'll have some, some repercussions on this. So uh, if you don't normally get on Wednesday night, that's, uh, we're going to be, be touching that on, on Wednesday night and, uh, and, and looking at that because we're looking at prayer involved in the spiritual battle and how that, that comes in. So we had one week on that. We have uh, at least one more week to, to go on that. Uh, who knows? It may go longer. People ask me questions. So we, we take some time with it. But do you have a little bit more understanding on this? If not, I mean, get some more questions. Throw them out to me. I love to answer questions. love answering questions. Absolutely love it. But um, it's important that you understand. You cannot judge from your, view, you, your viewpoint why good or bad things happened. But the devil is going to love to feed you with assumptions that you come up with why they got blessed and why they did not get blessed and then bring it back onto you and say, this is why it's not going to happen for you or this is why this bad thing is going to happen to you. You need to get, get yourself free of that sort of stuff. Why the bad thing happened to the person over here? I don't know. But I'm living the Word. Why does good thing happen to this evil person over there? I don't know. But I'm living the Word. If they don't take care of things, they're not going to have anything beyond this. Because everything will go. But not so for us. Well, would you stand up with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is light. We see situations just like Jesus talked about here with the tower. Just like the priests who were killed in service to God. And we look at that and we, we wonder. And the devil loves feeding us questions to get us to wonder and ponder where we would be open to assumptions. Hearing things that are not true and regarding them as true. Because he knows once he does that, the truth won't be able to set us free because the truth won't be able to get to us. Father, I thank you that you help uncover all the assumptions, all the false things that have worked their way into our life, just as you did with the disciples when they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, and just as you did with this crowd who came to you and didn't understand why such bad things were happening to what they thought were good people. But Father, all we're responsible for is to make sure that I repent, that I yield myself to the Spirit of God, that I recognize the hand of God where the hand of God is, and I recognize the hand of darkness where the hand of darkness is. And if I will recognize those things, I won't walk in the territory of darkness, without the light going with me. I'll have your light, I'll have your words, and you will say, go on out there, and take my words, and speak this thing out here, and we can take light into the darkness, but we, we go with your light. Thank you for the help that you give us in all these things, the understanding that we can have. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.